Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm going to be preaching out of Acts 13. Verses 1 and 2, Acts 13, verses 1 and 2. And here's what the passage says. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and I'm going to stop, okay? Because I want you to see and make sure with clarity you see the first part of this. I think it's really important. So this passage seems to indicate that this prayer meeting was not on a Sunday, You don't see scripture reading. You don't see the normal kind of order of a service. It's some people who got together just to pray. It was some people in the church that got together to pray. And God moved in the midst of this kind of group prayer meeting. I want to remind you, not every wonderful thing that God does in your life will be in this sanctuary at the times that we meet together. I think when we do extra things, the Lord can show up in those areas as well. So here they are. They're coming together, and they are, they are praying, just kind of a, a group called prayer meeting. Who was at the prayer meeting? It was Barnabas. He's a wealthy man from Cyprus. Simeon from Niger. Uh, Simeon of Niger, uh, descendant from African, Africa. Lucius. He was one of the persecuted believers who fled Antioch for safety. You can read about that in uh, Acts chapter 11. Manan had been raised with Herod Antipas, kind of a foster brother. He was raised in the palace, in the household of Herod. Make sure you get that. And then there's Saul, the Jewish zealot, of course, the persecutor of the church. So I love the gathering at this prayer meeting because it's to me it's so reflective of the, of the church. You have Jew and Gentile coming together to pray. Race didn't matter. Uh, or, or ethnicity, white and black. You have rich and poor. You have those that were raised with a formal religious education. Those that were not. And I love the fact that you have Lucius and Saul at the prayer meeting. Lucius, I, I, I would love to have heard that conversation when he's sharing, you know, hey, man, I was serving God in Jerusalem. There was this persecution uh, that came in, and I had to flee. Now, what's your name? Well, my name's Saul. <laughs> so here's two brothers praying together. That had reconciled. Lucius had forgiven his uh, persecutor Saul for the horrible things that he had done. But it didn't matter. Forgiveness and reconciliation had taken place. And they are praying together. So they came to this moment 
They were already on some kind of fast. They had already had some kind of agreement. Maybe the church leadership had called a fast. It doesn't really say specifically, but they had already had some kind of intentional fast that they were on when they came to this moment. Now, let me say... In the church, there are times of feasting, okay? Look, if you look at the Old Testament festivals, all kinds of food. Look at the New Testament Passover. Man, it was a great festival. It was celebration there. So there are times of feasting in the church. How many meals have you eaten at the church over the course of your life? All right? How many of you could say, I'm a few pounds overweight and I blame the church? <laughs> yeah. When I was uh, in Kentucky, I was preaching at a church in Appalachia. It was very poor. It was a very, very poor church. Uh, the whole area was poor. And after church, the pastor said, we have no restaurants to take you to lunch. He said, but we normally just fry up chicken after church and just eat at my house. Would you like to come? Well, certainly. Who would turn down fried chicken? Okay, so I go to have fried chicken. And let me just say, I have never seen a chicken get their neck wrung before. Okay, I see the chicken go upside down. Its little feet are flittering. Somebody is doing this. Feathers flying everywhere. And then a couple hours later, he's on my plate. I felt a little awkward, but I pushed through that moment, okay? But all around the table are people eating chicken and banana pudding, which is going to be in heaven at the marriage supper. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So there are times of feasting in the church. I mean, what did Witt lead his uh, uh, announcement with? Soup, cornbread, and three dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, all right? So it's, uh, uh, feasting is part, you know, of the church. But I want to say there are seasons of feasting. And then there are seasons of the believers that they fast as well. And these guys were on a fast, all right? So here's what Jesus said about fasting. Uh, Matthew 6, he said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I truly tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay? So there is a spiritual blessing that comes from seasons of fasting. So fasting is the temporary abstinence from food combined with prayer to focus on the Lord and to grow closer to him. Okay? That's, that's what it's there for. Now, the passage that I just read is not a command to fast or a request Please fast, but it is an assumption that people are already fasting and he's just giving some guidelines on the motive of that. So I want to remind you when we come to fasting, it is the combination of fasting and prayer that makes this 
powerful. It is fasting with worship and intercession and scripture reading and listening to God. Now, we live in an era that we don't deny ourselves anything. So this is a very unusual thing. I mean, it's kind of cross-cultural. It seems out of place in this high-tech, social media-driven world that you, would, that you would deny yourself something, especially for spiritual purposes. Now, I want to say, like, if you choose to fast tomorrow, I just want to give you a tip. Don't drive down Monroe Street, okay? Don't do that. There are little places that will pop out to you food-wise that you've never seen before, all right? Stay away. I was fasting last year. On the very first day, I got an email from DoorDash, all right? They would waive the delivery fee and give me 10% off, all right? I hit delete, sent that back to Satan where it came from. Get away from me, all right? Because there's something different that happens to you when you set aside time that you're going to fast, all right? Just something different. When you make that declaration, I'm going to do something unusual and I'm going to fast and pray, there is something that happens to you. Like maybe normally you don't eat breakfast, but when you fast about 10.30, you're losing consciousness, your speech is slurred, you don't even know what's happening to you. All right, so I'm just saying, when you declare to your body, I am fasting, you know, for spiritual purposes to get closer to God, you can bet there'll be a, a, a reaction from your body as well. So fasting is not just about denying ourselves of things, but to focus our attention on God and make more room for him. If that's all you're going to do is just eliminate some food, then you've got a strange form of diet going. This is not just about that. This is about pushing away from the table, but it's also seeking God, you know, in ways that you have not maybe done before. So there's a spiritual value in, in purpose. It focuses our attention and we kind of clear out more space for the Lord. I want to mention this. Fasting is not a way to earn God's favor by getting him to do something for us. That's wrong teaching, okay? Some people think, you know, like, if I'm going to do something extreme for God, then he ought to do something special for me. And I just want to say to you this morning, even with fasting and prayer, you cannot manipulate the hand of God or the will of God through your fasting and prayer, this is about seeking God and getting closer to God. So if your motive in the back of your mind is somehow manipulative, I want to tell you that's not going to work. God can move. We'll talk about that a little later. But our goal in fasting and prayer is getting closer to the Lord, developing a greater sense of spiritual hunger in our life. Fasting is a reminder to us that our appetites and urges do not control us, all right? Fasting is a reminder to us that our appetites and urges do not control us. We are not puppets to our cravings and our desires. They do not run our life, or they should not 
run our life. Fasting can help our hearts and bodies to understand that it is the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and he is in control of my life. So as I mentioned, it's not just about the denial of food, but when we fast, it is about a strengthening of the spirit man. It is about strengthening our willpower, self-control, resisting temptation when we fast. It reminds, it's a reminder to my flesh, my inner man, my desires and urges that God is in control of my life, not the internal cravings and desires of my heart. I think too that fasting can help you break bad habits and develop willpower over them. Because if you can say no to food, which is one of the most powerful natural urges that we have, if you can regularly say no to food, then, then I think you can learn to say no to other things as well. I think fasting can strengthen you in that particular area. It's a reminder that we have a dependency on God and we need him more than food. All right? Fasting brings us closer to God and allows us to hear God's voice more clearly. So when we fast, it helps create focus in a distracted and noisy world, okay? Because we're doing something, I encourage you. Do something different this week. Watch those videos. Pull away your, yourself for, for a few minutes. Do something, but it's a noisy, chaotic World and fasting and prayer just gives us a little solitude so that we can hear God's voice, that His word maybe can come alive in a different way, that we can hear God's, that we can hear God's spirit. So for instance, like instead of eating, you know, you are you are fasting, it, it, it gives you a little more solitude, you know, it creates moments and opportunities that we can focus on Jesus. It creates more moments and opportunities that we can focus on Jesus. So we, we don't just give things up to remove, you know, to distractions, but we want to strengthen and discipline our appetites. So I just want to, want to say the Part of this is, is having a, a clear focus, letting your spirit be attuned in a sharper way so that you can hear from God. It's strengthening your heart, but it's also strengthening your spirit so that you can, so that you can hear from God. I want to remind you this. Some spiritual battles are only won by uniting prayer and fasting. Okay? It's important. Remember, when the disciples are trying to cast the, the spirit out of the individual, they were like, what happened? And Jesus said, oh, no, this level only comes by fasting and prayer. There's certain things that, that we need to do, you know, on, on certain spiritual levels. You know, we need to fast and pray to see a particular battle that is won. So my challenge to you this morning is to take time, and even this morning, pray. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. I've given you some warning. You knew this was coming. You may already have your, your plan in place, what you want to do this week. I already, already have mine. So I'm going to ask the Lord how he wants you to fast this week. Then step out and do it. 
Step out and do it. Make a declaration. Make a determination in your heart. And, and make that plan happen this week. Do something different. Challenge yourself in a greater spiritual way than, than you ever have. You know, maybe, maybe in a long time to see God do something powerful in your life. Giving up social media if you want to do that. Extra technology, video games. Those kinds of things help clear, you know, a distracted life. So I, I think there's some benefit to that. But really, I, I believe in the abstinence from food really kind of gets the, 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 uh, the hearts and the passions and the desires under control. So I, I want you to consider what you would do and then go for it. Do it this week. Listen, it won't be an easy week. It won't be an easy week. I'm just telling you. But it's going to be a beneficial week to you if you'll follow out that plan that the Holy Spirit puts in his heart, puts in your heart. So these guys came to this prayer meeting and they were on a fast. Those, those five guys, they were on a fast. So they had already determined what they were going to do. They came to the church or wherever they were, wherever they were meeting, they were intentionally seeking God, and they did something else that the passage tells us about. They begin to worship. They begin to praise God in the midst of their, in the midst of their fasting. Can I just remind you, this, this episode takes place. There's no band, there's no worship team. There's no prayer list. They just begin to worship God. Can I remind you, those things are well and good, but you don't have to have them for powerful times of worship. You need a heart that's just attuned to God. So they just begin to magnify God. They just begin to praise him. Maybe they were singing. Maybe they weren't. But they were, they were worshiping. They were worshiping God. And I said at the very beginning, worship and fasting together is a powerful combination for strength and greater devotion to the Lord. We look in the Old Testament. We see... We see people that were meeting with God and, and worshiping and worshiping God. All through Genesis, people were having these experiences with the Lord, but it was kind of uh, random and it was kind of, you know, random places and in random moments. Finally, in Exodus, the Lord, the Lord said, okay, that, that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to create a place where people can come and worship me. So he gave the design for the tabernacle, okay? We got an image that we're going to put up there. Leave that up there for, for a few moments. If you can get it on those front screens, I'd appreciate it. So it was the, the design of the tabernacle. So please remember when this was given, it was in a time when Moses and the Hebrews were traveling through the desert. So you see the unusual construction. There's not brick and mortar and those kind of things. It is portable. It's like a tent. What you see on the exterior are skins and, and poles. It was, it was mobile. They were to move the tabernacle wherever, you know, wherever they went. But also in the building of the tabernacle was God's formal invitation for the people of God to regularly come in a centralized location and worship him. Before then, it had been random places and random moments. Now he says, you know what? Here's a place that we can all 
gather for worship. And here's what he said, Exodus 29, after he gave the instructions for this tabernacle, he said, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. And then I will dwell amongst the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so I might dwell among them. I am their Lord. Okay? So that's the, he said, look, when, we, when you come, I want you to worship. And when you do, I am going to be in your midst. Now, part of the interior of, of that that I want to focus on this morning was something called the altar of incense. And we have an image up there, and I want to I want you to leave it up there. I want to talk about it. No, the, the other the other image. There's another. There you go. That's the that's the one I want. All right. So this was the altar of incense. So in the layout of the tabernacle, we'll talk about it in just in just a moment. It was like two feet high. It was overlaid in gold. It was portable. As you can look on here, you can see the rings on the side and the sticks that were put in the side so that when they packed it up and moved this, this altar of incense, you know, it was just part of the, the regular, you know, when they, when, they moved the, uh, when they moved the tabernacle. So here's what the Lord says to uh, to the Hebrews here, he says about, about this altar of incense, he says, take fragrant spices, gum resin, gum resin, onica, gall bannon, and pure incense. Make a fragrant, fragrant blend of incense, the work of the perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder, place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Now, do not make incense with this formula yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy the fragrance must be cut off from their people. So incense was not necessarily an unusual part of, of life then because the Old Testament world was not clean and sanitary, okay? You lived with your animals. Do I need to say any more about that? Like when you go to the zoo, you know, so it was not uncommon that especially like to royalty that they would, that they would use incense so the incense, you know, could kind of cover up the uh, unpleasantness of what was going on. So, so Moses' instruction was that every morning Aaron was to come and light the altar of incense. And then every evening as the sun went down, Aaron was to come back and light the altar of incense so that continually there was, you know, there was uh, incense uh, uh, that was going up before the Lord. Now, the incense was symbolic of our worship. The, in, the incense was symbolic of our worship to God. So this was a special moment that, that this incense was like a reminder to God. It was like symbolic of the worship of people. And he said, hey, I want this going all the time. It was even, you know, God even took this very seriously. He said, don't make this formula 
for yourself. Do not copy this and try to duplicate it anywhere else. So we can look and learn some things about worship from this altar, this altar of incense. God is calling us at specific times of our lives for prayer and worship. Okay? Prayer and worship. Now listen, we give a, a lot of our time in prayer and worship to petitions. What do we need from God? What we're trying to get? This is not that moment. The altar of incense is not the place of petitions and asking for this. The altar of incense is the moment. It's symbolic of where we give worship and we give praise to God that we worship his holiness and, and his goodness. So it's not, a, it's, not a place of, it's not a place of petitions. He said this is supposed to be going continually. It goes all the time. Can I just say, can I just say in our lives, sometimes our worship, we do bargain worship sometimes. When my life's good, I got the song of worship on my lips. When my life is not so good, then I'm just down, I'm just dragging around, there's no, there's no worship at all. And I just want to say, man, for believers, that's not where we should be. Listen, regardless of whether we walk through seasons that we do not understand, let the worship that comes off the altar of incense of our heart be continual. If it's times that we give God praise for miracles, that's even better. But in the lowest moments of my life, when I don't understand what's going on and my theology is all crashing around me, let the worship of God still flow off my lips and out of my heart. That's my altar of incense moment so we worship we can learn some things about worship from this moment it's worship it's deep from our heart deep from our soul it's not half-hearted it's not distracted worship is at the center of my life it's not just something that I do on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. it's every day he said every morning I want you to go like this. Every evening I want you to like this, that this it's symbolic of worship that is, is, is happening. So it's the, the, the worship of our life is not, is not confined to a certain moment, but it's continual throughout the day. The altar of incense was located closest to the Holy of Holies. Would you put that other image up there? The interior of the tabernacle. I want you to look. You see the Holy of Holies off to the right. You see the big, the big curtains. I want you to look right in front of it. That's the altar of incense. It's the altar of incense. This placement closest to the Holy of Holies shows God's attentiveness to our worship and our prayers. Okay? It's worship that's the, the closest to the Holy of Holies. It's the closest to the presence of God. Worship is, worship is close to God's heart and the worship and the prayer of God's people he pays attention to and he, and he listens to. It was probably that, that image when the psalmist David uh, penned or uh, used the quill for Psalms 100 that said, enter his gate 
gates, think of that tabernacle, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So we're working our way to the Holy of Holies. And I want to say, man, when we come to the Holy of Holies, we only do it through worship and praise. There's no other way to get there. No other way to get to God's presence. So the ascending smoke that was coming to the altar was, was symbolic of an offering of worship that is coming, is coming uh, from, our, from our heart. And it was so fragrant and it was so strong, you know, that even, you know, the, it, it would get behind that it would get behind that veil. It would get, you know, God was seeing and sensing and hearing and that, that aroma of the, of, the, of the worship that was coming off the altar of incense. The priest, he would be doing his ministry and it would be so fragrant on his robe and on his hair, this incense. He was so close to the Lord and this symbolism, even that when he left, man, people could, could sense, you know, the, or, 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 or Notice the aroma that was on the incense. Just It's a reminder of people that when we worship, man, there's a presence of God that gets on our, our lives that people can see and sense when we've been in the presence of God. That proximity is important. David said, my prayer is set before you like incense. He used that term. He's using this mental illustration. He's saying, my prayer, my worship, Lord, is like incense before you in the book of revelation we see john and the elders they were holding bowls of incense that were signs of the worship and the prayers of 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 god's people so that proximity that's uh, of the the placement of the altar of incense was important because your worship and your prayer is important to god it was the thing that was closest once a year, the high priest was to put the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the altar of incense to cleanse it. Once a year, the high priest was to put the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the altar of incense to cleanse it. This is symbolic of the shed blood of Christ and his sacrifice that allows our worship to be acceptable to God. Okay? This is just symbolic of, of the shed blood of Christ and his sacrifice that allows our worship to be acceptable to God. Listen to me. Worship is the response to God of the redeemed. Okay? There, any, anything else, anybody else does outside of the blood of Jesus is just historical admiration. But when it comes from the people of God who, who've been saved you know, and washed in the blood... It is, it is worship. It is only by the cross that we are allowed this kind of access and that, that we worship honestly and openly. I want to remind you all about our worship. We sing all kinds of different things and we ask God for different things and that's fine. But when we truly worship, it is honoring Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. The object of our worship is Jesus and Jesus only. He is the one that is being worshiped. If, you, if it's just words on a screen to you, then you've missed it. You've missed it. If you're just reciting something that someone has written, you know, then, then you have missed it. Can I just remind you, we 
as believers, we as the redeemed, we have been changed. When we think of God's forgiveness and his grace and his blessing, we can't help but lift our voice in worship and give thanks and praise to God. And let me remind you, he said, if the redeemed won't do it, he'll raise up rocks in our place to give thanks on our behalf. Let's don't do that. Can we just take a moment this morning and give him praise? All across this place, would you give him honor and glory? Can we worship him for a moment? Come on, can we just worship him for a moment? The song of the redeemed, can you just praise him this morning? Lord, we worship. We have this altar of this incense coming off our, our lips this morning. Lord, we praise you. It's the song of the redeemed this morning, Lord. We worship you today. We worship you today. Listen to me. Some of you only have miracle praise. You only, you only worship when something works out for you. And that's well and good, but that's not true worship. Worship is coming, you know, from, from your heart from morning to night that's giving thanksgiving and worship for God's grace and his forgiveness on our life, not just when things work out for us. It's continual. And I want to tell you this too. There is a depth of maturity that comes from the saints when you can worship God in your worst circumstances. When you learn to praise God, when your incense comes from that altar, when things don't make sense. Whit gave you a testimony this morning, lost his wife. Linda lost her husband. Those were tough, tough times. But the incense never stopped. We always, we want to give miracle praise like the Red Sea. All well and good. Not a problem with that. But when life falls apart, when we don't understand what we're going through, man, let that incense from the altar still flow from our hearts all the time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So today, the place of worship is not important. Back in the Old Testament, they brought them to a centralized area so that people could praise God. But today, it's, it's you know, you can have God's blessing in your prayer closet by yourself. You can get five people and pray and have God's blessing. You know, like it's not the geography or you can, you can do it on a Sunday morning. The geography is not important. The style of worship is not important. Lights on, lights off. They're doing my favorite song. I don't like that song. It's formal. It's too informal. That doesn't matter either. Doesn't matter. It's all about the heart of worship. The heart of worship and giving praise and thanks to God. I want to say to the worship team, I want to thank you for all of your hard work. You come early and you practice and, and uh, many of you are on the stage this morning. Some of you rotate. I want to tell you thanks. But I want to say to the worship team, your cue of worship is not whether the crowd responds to the song that you are singing. When you are up here, you are singing not to this congregation. I want to remind you, you are singing as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter the reaction from the crowd. You lead as unto the Lord. You are singing just like, like it's a solo before Jesus. I want to say to the congregation, it doesn't matter what happens on this stage. The incense that comes off the altar of your heart has nothing to do with what goes on here. 
You should come with incense ready to, ready to flow out of your heart, whether they do your best song or a song that you don't like. It's not about the worship team. Your worship is not about the worship team. Your worship is a because you are a part of the redeemed and is your response to God to give him praise. A woman came to Jesus, had her little alabaster box. She was having her altar of incense moment. This was expensive. She had been saving this for a period of time, but we don't know what for. We don't know what for. Jesus is at her home. She stumbles around and she finds this very expensive box of perfume. This is her altar of incense moment. She takes it. She breaks it. The heart of worship is about humility. She knelt before him. She knelt. She didn't care. She didn't care. She realized the the greatness of God. Sometimes we feel like we're co-equals with the Lord. That our gifts match what, our gifts that we do for the church match what he did for the cross. You got that wrong. She kneels before God. She's emotional. She starts to cry. She starts to to weep. This is her altar of incense moment. It happens in different ways and different different times, but she starts to, to weep because this moment was very meaningful to her. She even... As she's weeping, her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And she takes her hair and she begins, you know, like you would wash someone's feet when they came in your home. She takes her hair and she begins to to wash, wash his feet with her hair. It was emotional. I want to tell you, if you can live your whole life and sing songs and you can worship and it never moves your heart, then you're, you're distant from the Lord. We don't always cry. Every experience is different, but if you're, you're going through your, your worship life and you're never moved at all in your heart, you need to come back to the cross. If your heart is hard and when you think about worship and you're not ever broken or moved at the foot of the cross, you need to come back and take a visit there. It's an emotional moment. She's crying. She's, her tears are dripping on his feet. In that moment, her altar of incense moment, she had every opportunity to ask the king of glory for something. And she never did. Because the altar of incense is not about petition. It's not about asking. It's about just worship. It's about, it's about worship. She could have said, Lord, hey, I gave this up. You know, this is expensive ointment, perfume here. I gave this up. You know, could I, could I get something? She never said that. Because it was just, it's just coming. It's just coming out of her. It's coming out of her heart. It was emotional. It was intimate. It was intimate. She was open. She was transparent. She was vulnerable. And it's in a big room of other people. All the disciples, lots of other people are gathered there for this meal. She didn't care. 
she did not care, you know. She, she, she didn't care. You know, we're all concerned about our social media profile and our brand and our image and what other people think about us. She did not care in that moment. She didn't care. This was an intimate moment that she was having with the Lord and she's weeping and she's giving this offering to the Lord and she's crying and she's worshiping and she's wiping her tears with his feet. She did not care what other people thought. She didn't care about the comments that Judas was making behind her back. She did not care how she was thought or care how she was perceived. She didn't care. This was her altar of incense moment. Worship team, you can come. You can come. I just want to close with this. In this unique proximity to God, we also have a responsibility to be right with God as well. All right. Isaiah 113 says, stop bringing meaningless, meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. They were offering incense, but it was from a corrupted heart, a heart that was not yielded to the Lord. His primary desire for us is that we be right with God and that we be holy. And just going through rituals and routines and formalities, the Lord knows the difference. He knows. He knows. It was, it was Isaiah and Jesus later repeated that said, you know, like if you're singing a worship song, he said, your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me. So you can go through some kind of ritual and routine. You can sing the songs, but the Lord, the Lord knows. Not the motions of worship, the rituals of worship, but the heart of worship. Now, we don't fast and worship to get God to do things for us. Everybody got that? We cannot manipulate the hand and the will of God. But I do want to say that God may choose these moments as well to move on our behalf. Okay? So those guys were praying. They didn't come with any agenda. They didn't come. They're praying and they're fasting. They've been on this fast. They come. They're worshiping. They're worshiping the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. So in that moment, there was a response, an unanticipated response. God moved on their behalf, okay, with worship. The whole Christmas story that we love does not start with the angel appearing to Mary. It starts before that when Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, is in the temple and he's attending the altar of incense. He's lighting the altar of incense. It was in that moment that there was revelation that came about Jesus and John. All right? So we don't do, I'm just, we don't do this to get God to move, but I'm just telling you that he can. Jesus said, and I want to remind you as we close, that when you fast, your Father sees what is done in secret, and He'll reward you in the right time and the right way, okay? That's not our goal, but I'm just telling you 
He's watching our worship and our prayer. And in the right moment, God will move on our behalf. So this morning, this morning, I'm calling you to a moment of seeking God. This is not the service that we're going to ask for healing and miracles. We do that all the other times. This is going to be the altar of incense moment of Generations Church. That we are going to come and we're going to seek him and we're going to worship him. And our focus is only going to be on worship in Jesus and the cross. So I'm calling you this morning to come for a time of seeking the Lord. Hungering for more of God and closer and closer devotion. Would you stand with me this morning? Just stand with me this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just praise him? I don't want the worship team to sing right now, but can you just praise him across this building? I want worship, not petitions. Not petitions. I want you to praise him. I want you to praise him. I want you to praise him. I want you to have an altar of incense moment, not miracle praise, not bargain worship, but the song of the redeemed, the song of the redeemed, the song of the redeemed. I'm going to open these altars. I want you to come find a place. I'm fixing to get down there myself. I want you to come have an altar of incense moment with the Lord. Come find a place, if you will, to pray. Come stand in this altar. Come find a place wherever you, if you want to kneel in your seats, whatever. This is our altar of incense moment. This is where we come with worship. We're coming to seek God for, for, to be closer to him, closer in our devotion to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I want you to praise him. The incense was rising. It was continual symbolic of our worship it's symbolic of our prayer if you want to come and stand down here you can if you can't find a place we're going to make this place a, an altar of incense moment this morning would you come and praise him this morning i want you to focus on the cross i want you to focus on the shed blood of jesus this is in our petition service we do those other times this is a a moment of worship pure worship just like that woman it was emotional. It was intense. It was intimate. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I want you just to focus for a little while. We just want to lock into this moment. Lord, we worship you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We thank you for the Son. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Oh, we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Lord, we thank you that we were slaves, but now we're sons and daughters. We give you honor. We give you glory. We praise you this morning. We praise you this morning. Come on, let's, let's have our incense moment. We worship you this morning. We praise you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory. Let those, we're not singing someone else's words at the moment. This is from our own heart. 
that incense coming from your own heart, your own words this morning, your own feelings. Lord, we worship you today. We worship you today. We thank you, Lord, that you saved us when we were deep in sin. Lord, our lives would fill with darkness and, and, and horrible things. But, Lord, you cleansed us and you made us clean. And, Lord, we give you praise this morning. We give you praise this morning. We give you praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just another moment. In your own words, in your own words, articulate how you feel about the Lord and his work on the cross. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a river of worship and praise. Some of you, you'll feel emotion. That's the Lord. That's the Lord touching your heart today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We come in devotion, Lord. We come to seek you. We don't ask any gift from your hand this morning, Lord. We only come with worship today. Oh, God, we don't come to the gift giver. Lord, we come to the Savior today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Start it slow and build it. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.